Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Welcome, everybody. Monday edition of the Two Guys at a Mic Show. Hope everybody out there had a great Veterans Day weekend. Our Salute to the Troop Show Friday, by the way, if you want to check that out, is on our archive. The Big Dog's very heartwarming and passionate. Salute to the Troops. You can hear it on Friday's show. Go to the website at twoguysmike.com. Big Dog and the Coach with you right up until 11 o'clock. we got NFL football around him up and wrap him up segment as per usual. We'll talk a little college football and news and notes both on sports page and off. That's what we do here on the Two Guys at a Mike Show. Hope everybody had a great weekend. We're off and running or at the very least we're into a slight job. Goodness, what a Chicago Bear game yesterday. Got to talk about that. 37-13 win for the beloved Bear. Of course, we'll do our NFL round them up and wrap them up. A big slight weekend of college football. All kinds of stories. The BCS standings beginning to unfold. We got the whole Penn State situation. Got to talk a little NBA lockout. A uh, Washington Nationals catcher who was kidnapped and now rescued. College hoops, including uh, North Carolina, Michigan State on the S.S. Carl Vinson ship. That was a pretty cool scene. The Northwestern soccer team. we got all kinds of stories to talk about. Most importantly, though, let's bring in the man who brought us the 15 minutes of passionate, passionate radio. we got a lot of positive emails on the big dog. Salute to the troops, as we do every year. When you give your impassioned and non-written down, it, it comes off the cuff. But uh, beautifully done. Again, it's available on our website, um, twoguysmike.com. You can get the archives of the show. My good friend, the big dog, Joel Radwanski. Joel, how are you? Uh, I'm doing absolutely phenomenal, Coach. And uh, what a, if, I mean, if you're a Chicago Bear fan, if you're a sports Woo. fan, uh, if you're a human being after uh, Penn State, Nebraska, all that end up turning out that end up. I mean, just a good weekend all around, Coach. Yeah, it really was. It really was a solid sports weekend. Got the adrenaline kicking. There was negative. There was positive. There was fights. There was controversy. There was good feel stuff. The great. Uh, you know, salute to the troops and Veterans Day celebrations at the uh-huh. the various games. It was just uh, it was one of the better weekends overall, Big Dog. And I guess you know the NBA players still aren't playing, but who cares? Okay, now uh, as you know, Coach, this is it's like uh, Grand Central Station watching uh, football at this particular house. And last night at the Bears game, yep. may have been the busiest night of the whole year. And I got to tell you, the best moment of the whole night. There's not a room, on, there's not a seat on a couch anywhere. Mm-hmm. Is you know right after the third quarter and the fourth quarter start they bring uh, they bring out a veteran the Chicago Bears started this tradition a couple of years ago yep. and all of a sudden it's caught on and they always show it on TV now well now everybody in the NFL does it which is one of the coolest things I mean Chicago's done a lot of really cool traditions in the past like you know screaming during the national anthem and all that. That's really cool. How about the look on that man? He was a, a retired captain. Did you see it? how the amount of yeah he he, he that, chest? that guy put the veteran in veteran didn't he? Yeah, and how happy was that guy, Coach? How happy yes. was he and his family to be out there? That was the coolest moment of the game. The Bears had the game on ice. We're all laughing and giggling. Everybody just shuts up. And, like, there was 
like, there was a girl who had no idea that happened. She's like, when did they start doing that? That's really cool. Mm-hmm. And was like, we had, and then we all got a puppy chest, and that was a Chicago Bears yeah. tradition. Very, so. very cool. Actually, at the beginning of the game, Big Dog, they had all, uh, you know, not all the veterans, but they had must have had 50 or 60 uh, veterans, different services of the military out there uh, surrounding the American flag as they unfolded the flag and, you know, draped it out about half the size of the stadium. It was pretty cool. And then the final words of the national anthem, they started moving the arms up and down, so the flag was waving. It was, it was a pretty cool scene prior to the game. Oh, yes. Yeah, nobody does the national anthem like uh, Soldier Field in Chicago. No, nobody does. Yeah, there were a few people. 315 start, a few people that were imbibing a little bit early. They got confused. I heard a few. Was it interesting? It was kind of a combination of Bear Down, Chicago Bear, and the National Anthem, Big Dog, which, quite frankly, didn't sound that bad. I got to tell you something. It was awfully fun to sing it uh, three different times after returns yesterday. Yes. Oh, my goodness. You you, you sit down. You know, we all know how big of a football game this is because at one point they were two and three, and we were putting uh, dirt on the Bears, and all of a sudden we're like, wow, if they win this game, they thoroughly control their own destiny. I mean, they really do. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, what is it, about two minutes into the game, Julius Peppers puts a clothesline on Calvin Johnson. (laughs) What a tackle. Somebody woke up. I don't know what they did. Somebody woke up Julius Peppers about three games ago. Whenever I'd say he's a clutch player, coach. He really is a yeah, clutch player. Yeah, the first the first player. five games of the season, he was you know every couple of he he was pulling the Richard Dent. You, you know every remember, couple of plays, but the last the Atlanta game, the, he dominated the Atlanta Falcons in game yeah. one. Well, Maybe was, that was, he played phenomenally yesterday, and it started with talk about setting the tone. They're, I love how they were talking about oh that's uh, we, we, they're not turnovers. We get takeaways. We take the ball away. And on mm-hmm. five of the six turnovers yesterday, they were takeaway by the Bears' defense. There was one interception by Stafford where I was like, really? He just threw it right to the guy? He, oh, he was the brutal. Ball? He was, oh. Matt Stafford was absolutely brutal, I can tell you that. And it's not only sacks, you know, from Julius Pepper, Big Dog, but, you know, it's, you can't really put a stat on it. No, stats don't tell the whole story. All you got to do is look at yesterday's game with the Detroit Lions. Had more total yards than the Chicago Bears, but it was the pressure. Consistent pressure from the Bear defense uh, versus the run versus the pass that just disrupted and disturbed the Detroit line. Don't forget number 71, Israeli Adonijay, did a nice job opposite Julius Peppers. Yeah, he had a, a very effective game. He's, you know, Kyle Vandenbosch is the guy because he's white. They say, well, he's got, he's got a high motor. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> well isn't it true that, that you never hear they say that about an African-American dude? Well, he's, uh, that's what, uh, that's what the Israel strategy is. He just keeps trying and just effort, 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 effort. All of a sudden, good things happen to him all the time. Mm-hmm. Henry Melton, 69. Solid. question. Last week played a good game. Yep. This week had a, a couple really big plays. Anthony Adams coming in there, getting some girth who, on the quarterback. Who was benched last week? Yes. CN, what do they call it in the NBA? A CDDNP. Coach's decision uh, did not play. Well, and in the NFL, they call it inactive because he wasn't even on the 45-man roster last yes. uh, last Monday night. Yep. Which makes sense, though, Coach, because the, the when you go, it really wasn't. It's the way the the Eagles play. The Eagles don't go fullback and tight end and pound it at you. They spread you out and stuff. And and Anthony Andrews takes up a lot of space, so you might want him out there. Actually, he's a big fellow. He, so. He's become kind of the spirit leader of the Bears too. If you watch him before the game, he's the one doing the little shimmy bop. And you watch a guy, uh, three hundred and twenty-five pounds, trying to fire up the troops and then doing a little bit of dance. That's a uh, 
It's an interesting situation, but yeah, he was uh, inactive last week, and Big Dog reminds me of your high school career where more than a couple times you actually played in the game, they watched film on Monday, and on Tuesday your coach declared you inactive for the previous game. Well, that, I, I don't ever remember that happening. So <laughs> oh, goodness. Big Dog had a back problem once. The doctor looked at him, and you know, the Big Dog's asking, he couldn't get rid of the back problem, back pain. Doc, what? How do I get rid of the? What is wrong with my back problem? And the doc looked at him and said, "That has to do with your front problem." Thank you very much. You know, it's, it's funny <laughs> you said that because that that was the issue. Yes. If you have serious serious back pain, you need to stretch out your quadriceps. It's all about the core. No, no, no. It's about your quadriceps. If you have bad bad back pain, you got to there's stretches that you can do for your quads. Okay. Kind of don't make sense for anybody, but okay. if I'd have known that a lot earlier, I would have got rid of the back pain. Don't go doctorial on me when I'm trying to put a little humor in the show. By the way, Cinemax Cindy I don't did email. Question my football ability. <laughs> Cinemax Cindy did email over the weekend. She'd like to know. Really, it's almost every week she asks. But how is your core? It's. I got to tell you something, Coach. It's getting better and better. It's, wow. it's not back to. 2007 to 2010 style core that I had. That was a good, it, that was yeah. solid core right there. Well, I, I let it go when uh, uh, I had the sugar mama coach. <laughs> I kind of let it go. I had okay. it. So, All right, but, uh, you, but you're getting it back, huh? Yes, I am. Hey, by the way, we'll do the NFL roundup, up, wrap up, wild weekend in the NFL. Don't get too high, by the way, Chicago Bear fans. I mean, feel good because right now they're playing awfully good football. But the way this NFL season is shaping up, it's it's you got waves and bumps and curves and just about everybody but the Green Bay Packers is going through. I mean, including the Miami Dolphins. I, I huh? can see it now. I can already see it now. The Bears are going to be a, a one and a half point favorite as the as the number five seed going into Green Bay after just uh, destroying the number four seed. Already, yeah, already I mean, it's, we don't have to watch the rest of these games. But the way Bears, things are going, way things are going, Don, we could lose the next three games and look terrible. I mean, it changes that much. <laughs> there were two. Ga- What's that? The NFL is like that, so you're exactly right. Let's just let's just not assume that they're going to win all four no. games against the AFC West and the and the Seattle Seahawks, and then all of a sudden we're playing yeah. the Packers trying to get back into the NFC North race. So you know, let's not let's no, just no. worry about the, enjoy this win, and let's worry about the Chargers next week. Things change in a hurry, unpredictability, absolutely. But there were two games, big dog. I can't remember a weekend when more people were. Um, uh, more people were suicidal of the the betting variety, ready to jump off the ledge. More confidence pools were destroyed by two games, and those two games were uh, Arizona over Philadelphia and Seattle beating the Ravens. Everybody I talked to who plays these confidence pools, I don't do them. But those were the two games that were they were most confident on. I mean, there's no way Arizona, you know, uh, uh, Baltimore. Yeah. Going to beat Seattle, that's an automatic. And the Philadelphia Eagles at home, coming off a tough Monday night loss, the pride, you know, all the talent against the Arizona Cardinals. The Eagles and the Ravens were the two most automatic picks. And, of course, um, they both lost. No, I'm in a, I'm in a, uh, a league with, like, uh, Silver and, and Wisconsin John and all these other radio guys. There's a bunch of people in it. And uh, I'm in first place throughout the whole entire season, and I've won half the weeks so far, Coach. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason why is I took the Seattle Seahawks at home against uh, the Baltimore Ravens. I did put 15 out of a possible 16 on the on the Philadelphia Eagles, who I said they will get it together for one game and yep. they'll give people in Philadelphia hope again that there could be a season and then they'll, then they'll trip up. I was totally wrong. 
I, it was a close game, 21-17, but I'm, I'm not kidding you. The Cardinals really played a lot better than winning by four points. Mm-hmm. And when the game was on the line, they, would, they did everything they needed to do to win. It's, it's as simple as that. In the fourth quarter, Eagles got their butt handed to them again. Yeah, what is that, the third third time the Eagles have a lead in the fourth quarter in the last, like, four weeks and they lose? Well, it's the fifth time this season, and it's the, the record in the NFL was four, and now they've set the new record. Yeah. And it's, there's, what, they're in game number nine, and they've had five losses in the fourth quarter. They need uh, Mariano Rivera pitching <laughs> for them in the fourth quarter of the Philadelphia Eagles. they got to get a closer, but that's uh, – so funny you said that. Adam Schefter this morning on ESPN – I just to let you know, he said, "Well, the the Phillies just signed Papelbon, so I guess the Eagles are going to have to use him first. Because <laughs> obviously, Jonathan Papelbon well, or the Red Sox just signed with the Eagles. Everyone, just I got I, I got to tell you in my head, and I saw that sign with the, I, the first guy I thought of for some weird reason. Maybe the two of us are thinking alike via mental airwaves or karma. The first guy I thought of was Jonathan Papelbon for that particular comment, and then I said, well, I can't use that.'" Because Papelbaum basically blew every save the last month of the season. So I went with the old veteran, Mariano Rivera. Well, yeah, he blew every other save. But considering that the starters ERA in Boston was over eight during the month of September, he didn't yeah. have a lot of save opportunities. Yeah. So that's really bad. When you go like three out of six, it's really, really awful. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. Uh, we got college football to talk about, all kinds of stuff off the sports page as well. Very eventful weekend. Our phone number here, if you want to check in with the, the big dog or, God forbid, actually talk to me, you can do that too. 888-463-6740 at Triple Eight. Four six three six seven four eight. Big dog, you and me, a very mediocre one and two unbeat the schmoes. You almost went zero and three, by the way. You squeezed by on Nebraska, Penn State. You got the points there, but David Olson once again, not not three and zero. He came down to you know earth with a little smug smile on his face. He went a very solid two and one, a winning week again for Mister Olson. Now, what game did he lose? Did he take the Bengals again? He's been riding that that horse for a long time. David, get on the. Uh, no, no, no. I, t- I took the Jets over the Patriots. Oh, that's right. That's right. I, the Patriots looked really good. They they played some defense. They they stopped the run. Mm-hmm. It was it was and uh, it seemed like the Patriots offense like played conservative and like tried to use the clock and have longer drives for some reason. They they didn't play like the typical Patriot offense, which is hey, let's see if we can score forty today. So is that you think based on their defensive uh, deficiencies have they taken the approach? Hey. Let's score, but let's control the ball a little bit, keep our defense off the field, and uh, then we don't have to worry about it. Well, everybody wants to know if that's if Tate Manning really had to do that for the Indianapolis Colts the last five years when he would yep. control the whole entire clock. Well, they're 0-10 without him. And it was basically because he would make sure that their defense was never on the field whatsoever during a game. And they'd have three drives in the first half and score on all three of them. Uh, the, the Patriots may need to get into that type of philosophy, Coach. David Olson nailed them. Um, more possessions than the other team every game. Yep, no question. New England, that's the uh, Sunday night game. I did not watch that one, by the way, but the uh, Patriots knock off the Jets. Jack, He had Jacksonville beating Indianapolis. Good pick right there. And then yeah, one of David's solid. modes of success, he always picks one game I pick that's kind of his in-between game, and whatever I pick, he goes opposite. I take that as a personal insult, unfortunately. It's proven highly successful for David. So he went opposite me, picked Houston over Tampa Bay, and what was it, a one-point, two-point? Oh, that's right. It was about a 30-point win for Houston. Oh, Houston, Houston dominated from the first wow. play of the game. Jacoby Jones what, went 80 yards for a touchdown 
on the first play of the game, first pass, definitely of the game. Pitiful. So, and then after that, it got worse. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I mean, Houston really. They, I mean, they they just dominated the game so much, kind of like the Bears did early on, that they coasted in the second half. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And they, you know, it's weird when like I'm watching the Bears game late, and Cutler is still in, and there's five minutes to go, and they're up 31 at the time, and you know, and I'm like worried that he's going to get hurt just handing the ball off. It's funny if the game is totally crucial. You got the, an all-star defensive line over him, and they're hitting him every play. I'm not worried that he's going to get hurt, but you know. The, why the is he in the game, though? I don't understand. I, why I is Matt? Know. Why is Matt Stafford in the game? That's, it's, that was absolute. Joke. In the fourth I, quarter, so I, first of all, you know, we're not talking desperation. We're not bringing a high school. I'm not asking you to bring a high school kid in to quarterback your team. Theoretically, if you've got your guy, not your third string guy, if you've got a second string guy, your backup quarterback in. He's got to be pretty good. You got to have some confidence. You're not throwing in the towel. You're not, you know, making uh-huh. a a joke of the game. It's your number two quarterback. Give him an opportunity. Give him some reps. And again, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that he's pretty good. That's why he's your backup quarterback. So it's not like the Bears are going to fall apart. Let Caleb Haney play. Detroit Lions, whoever their backup quarterback is, put him in. I don't understand why NFL coaches think it's like, you know. Desperation only. God forbid you replace the starting quarterback. Don't understand that, though. Sean Hill would have played better than Matt Stafford yesterday. I will guarantee that. Just And they bring Caleb Haney into the game to go with 3.30 to go in the game, and if he throws a pass at that point, then it's all of a sudden insulting to the Lions. And who knows what they'll do. They'll probably pull a knife or a gun out at that point. That team is so freaking dirty and cheap. My goodness, get your act together, Detroit Lions. It looks pathetic. <laughs> No, you should be, they should be embarrassed of themselves. Honestly, coach. The way that they acted and, and, and participated in a, in a sportsmanlike manner was non-existent. So, whatever. Detroit, I'm glad we, we just pummeled that butt. <laughs> if you bring Haney in, in, first of all, if you bring Haney in with nine minutes to go in the game, it's like they should have. Jay Culler wouldn't have been picked up and dropped on his right shoulder by Nick Fairley. Yep. Okay. Well, Oh my, coach, I swear, I thought someone was going to kick the TV into my house when that happened. Okay? <laughs> I mean, like, we're all having a good time laughing, joking. Next thing I know, it's, we're all riled up that the blood is at a boiling point. Okay? At the, at the, you know what I mean? So, but, at the, but you bring Caleb Haney in early, and maybe he can throw a pass or two. I wanted to see, get, get, get him some time and let him throw a pass in a game. Yeah. And I, I know it's not like. The peak time of the game with the intensity because it's a 31 point game at that at that. But you got to see the guys throw a couple passes in a game. We're not going to get a better opportunity in that all season. Yeah. Ridiculous. And always I, remember you're, you're about the coaching staff. That's the old. By the way, that was the only thing they did wrong. What yeah. a game plan they had yesterday. Phenomenal yeah. job. By last the last couple weeks in a row, we've let, we've absolutely looked like a professional football team. It's absolutely uh-huh. amazing. All credit due to the uh, Bears and their coaching staff. Let me ask you at the uh, circus that was your household yesterday, the United Nations, like you uh, seemed to call it. Was there any dissenting opinions? Was it a complete Chicago Bear crowd, or was there possibly? A Detroit Lion fan that snuck his way in. Uh, you, you know, Coach, it's funny you say that because I had many different calls from people to go to the Tin Lizzie yesterday, which is a Michigan State slash Detroit Lion bar. Yep. And it's awfully fun to go to when uh, when, when they play each other. Uh, when they're playing the Packers, it's much better. Uh, but I, I didn't go. Very few. We have Packer fans that come here, but that's it. Very No other dissenters have come here. We have friends that are... Lion fans, they will not come to this house. And it's funny, on divisional games, we legitimately have five times the crowd at my house as we do. 
Like uh, this week, we'll be playing the Chargers. We'll have no Charger fan, maybe one, mm-hmm. and there might we might have like eight people stop by for the whole entire day. Mm-hmm. But like for some reason, like if the Packers or Lions uh, or the Vikings are being are playing here, coach, we'll get twenty five people in my house <laughs> just showing up just to watch football. Just, hey, what's up? I brought beer. I got I, you got I got everything from Pabst Blue Ribbon. All the way up to some like Hockerbach or something that I can't pronounce uh-huh. in my refrigerator right now. I'm really, I'm pretty happy about it. How's the uh, how's the cleanup crew afterwards? Everybody just uh, take the money and run, or do they stick around uh, and help clean up? That's 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 cloudy in my job. 100 uh-huh. percent of the time, whether there was a party, whether there was not a party, gotcha. basically we do. Yeah, we're we're the salt and pepper cleanup crew out here. You're so. the you're the cleanup crew. Very nicely done. Eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. I went to the ball game. Uh, Yesterday, Big Dog, my one and only appearance at Soldier Field for the year. And it was kind of funny because sitting right in front of us were four Detroit Lion fans. Four guys. They looked like, for a minute, I thought it was like Mel Farr, Barry Sanders, and a couple. I thought they were like ex-Lion players, but they weren't. There were four dudes who uh, were on uh, Boys Weekend in Chicago. And they okay. were from from Detroit, so, you know, enjoying a great weekend in Chicago. This was the culmination of their trip. They had the uh, couple of beverages going before the game. They're all rowdy, fired up, giving us a hard time, a little friendly jiving back and forth. But they were pumped up for the game, cheering on the Lions when they came out there. And it was kind of funny to watch their uh, great Chicago weekend and good times slowly as the game went on, diminished. And by the end of it, they left with about five minutes early. I thought they were heading one of the mother's funeral. (laughs) (laughs) You know, doesn't it really be it's bad for them? To have Devin Hester with the ball, and you can't enjoy it whatsoever. Not only do you not enjoy it, how excruciating it is to watch him dance through your particular kick coverage team. While everyone else in while everyone else in the building gets to enjoy the elation of seeing one of the greatest of all time that runs with a football run with it, those guys are sitting there just sulking and couldn't enjoy. It. Now, that's since you were there, Coach. Uh, where were you sitting? What angle did you have of that return? Because that it was so unbelievable the way it didn't look like he had anything. He fumbles the ball, and the next thing you know, he's running past eleven people. Perfect angle, perfect angle. Second deck, the mid, uh-huh. the mid second deck, second row, Four, oh, 40, 40 yard line. So I mean, really, really good seats. You can see. Why did he caught the ball right in front of you? Then? Yeah, he, and he ran the ball down our sideline towards us. Oh. So it, it, it was absolutely a perfect view of it. Yeah. And, you know, basically the Lions were, it wasn't like they had a complete breakdown on the fumble. You know, some teams, you know, the ball's fumbled and they lose their uh, discipline and they're covered. They were there. It's just he got a couple of good blocks and uh, a couple of defenders, even though they were there, didn't make great efforts at it. And next thing you know, boom, he's gone. Yeah, 2-3, uh, Devin Hester is the greatest returner of all time. But look, let's, let's give a tip of the hat. Like you said, he got a couple blocks. We always say that. He he gets two or three kick returns uh, for touchdowns a season, and on every one of them, we were like, "Wow, we got a couple great blocks out of it." But you know, it's one thing to get great blocks, but you got to be like the type of returner that can really set them up and then take advantage of them. And and they do it; they they get them blocked, and he takes advantage of them. And is he going to get a ball kicked to him the rest of the season, coach? Well, it brings up an interesting point. There was a, a young kid in the crowd, like ten, eleven years old, and you know. He, sometimes the most simple, easy answers, they're right there out in front of you, and us adults or the people that think they know a lot, you know, we, we overthink things. And this question, well, why don't they punt it out of bounds? And the more you think about it, you know, obviously on kickoffs, you get penalized. On punts, you don't. 
Well, you know, it's going to be five yards up or ten yards up, you know, in field position. Well, you know, two comments on that. Okay, so it is five yards up or ten. You don't give a great punt returner a chance to to return the punt. And secondly, what do punters have to do all week? They are experts at their profession. There's not that many things they can practice. Can't they? Amen. Can't Amen. they punt the ball, you know, with distance and get it out of bounds? Shouldn't be that hard. Why don't more teams punt the ball out of bounds on punt returns? You know, all they have to do is those angle rugby kicks, coach, and you hit it as a line drive and you angle it out of bounds yep. 30, like 45 yards up the field. And what's going to happen is there's probably an 80% chance it goes out that I don't know why you can't do that. Everybody always kicks the ball straight up in the air and they kick it in the middle of the field. You know, and if you look at these college kicks, Everybody in the Big Ten, I watch every single Big Ten game, and all all the schools that do the rugby style line drive kick up the sideline, getting more and more popular. Which I I can't tell you how many times. Oh, that was a seventy-two yard punt. Well, I thought it was horrible. Yeah, you hit a line drive that hit hit the ground. Of course, it's going to go in that direction. And these guys in the NFL, they always kick it straight up in the air. They let everybody come down. There's a muff, and as soon as there's a muff, everybody's out of their lane, and boom, you're breaking for a touchdown. Everybody is afraid to do like something new in the NFL. I mean, they're not afraid to do something new in terms of like schemes, but they're afraid to do something that doesn't look right. Like this whole, like the fact that Tim Tebow could possibly play quarterback in the NFL and the Broncos only throw the ball. They can't throw it eight times a game and mm-hmm. win consistently. That's not going to happen. Coach. Yep. But maybe they can throw it 20 times a game and win because they got the best fullback in the NFL playing quarterback, which is Tim Tebow. There's no 240-pound guy in the NFL that runs better with the football than him right now. I don't think there is. So People they, the people don't want to break the mold. On the other hand, usually the one wacko on your coaching staff, the, the mad scientist, if you will, of the coaching fraternity are the special teams coaches. So you would think if anyone's going to try something different, it would be your, your friendly special teams coach. Yeah, I guess so. If you try something like that and you get a kick block, you get fired. And you, why didn't you do it the way everybody else has done it mm-hmm. in the history of the NFL? I had a question but, for you. Now, now, yesterday the wind was blowing fairly significantly. Maybe two to three times when the Bears were kicking off, uh, Robbie Gold couldn't get it to sit. So, uh, you know, a player had to come over and hold the ball. Yeah. So my question is not really a significant question, but it's a curious one, uh, and it's based on the sophistic. How sophisticated is is professional coaching? This is coaching at the highest level. Do they? Do they? What percent of special teams coaches, if any, actually address during their preseason, during their meetings, the strategy of hey, if the wind is blowing, and all of a sudden the other team takes one of their cover guys and he has to hold the football. And I don't even know what the strategy is, but they address it. Okay, hey, if the guy comes from the right, automatically we're going left or we're going up the middle. How many coaches, is, is does it get that would, sophisticated where they address that strategy? Uh, considering that I, we had a plan in high school, college, I'm assuming that they also have every, all 32 teams have it in the NFL. Really? And that's quite simply, uh, in high school, I, I remember it as simple as that is we had two safeties. One was the kicker, and the other one was another guy. Nine guys sprinted, well, eight guys sprinted down in a lane, and I sprinted at the football. Uh, so the safety, you know, the safety would just have to hold the football and then get sprint right into where they should be. So, I, and that was the same thing in in college too, coach. Okay. So they made the they made the second. So some teams have three safeties, believe it or not. Like Lou Holtz at Notre Dame had always the kicker and two other safeties and only eight coverage guys, which I find amazing 
that you would do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's so it's one of the safeties you would have hold it, which is that's not that's not that big of a deal. Okay, I was thinking more from the you know the returning team. Hey, you know, like I think the Bears used Tim Jennings, who was the, like one of the right side gunners. To uh-huh. hold the football, or you know what? It's not that important. I, I just... would assume he would be. The, I would doubt they would pull a gunner out and have him hold the ball. They okay. probably pulled the safety up. Okay. Anyhow, moving on to more important things. We got NFL roundup, up, wrap them up to talk about Big Dog at your service here, folks, with the coach up until eleven o'clock. Phone lines are open. You want to check in any of the uh, activities over the weekend, football and or otherwise. You want to talk about? Love to hear from you. Triple eight four six three sixty seven. 48, the phone number. We'll go to college football real quick. David Olson's giving me some hand signals here. Yes, David. Just put a note up on your screen. Mike Matheny is the new manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't see it up yep. on my screen, though. They, ah, there they, it hired, is. they hired Mike Matheny, gold glove winner. Wow. No major league baseball experience as a manager. Mike, so Ma- what, uh, Mike Matheny, catcher? Yeah, Mike Matheny, gold glove catcher coach. He wow. was phenomenal. He was a guy that would hit like 235 with like a home run throughout the course of the season. And you would look back and be like, yeah, I'd really want that guy on my team. He was unbelievable. He was the best Where? What was it? Was he a minor league uh, coach? Where did yeah, he come I guess from? He was, an, he was an instructor in the St. Louis Cardinals wow. minor league system. And they, wow. gave him, they gave him the job. And Terry Francona, Ryan Sandberg, Red Shandies. Same usual. They all they all interviewed for the job. Okay, they gave it to they gave it to Mike Matheny. Red Shandy's so. threw his name in the ring, huh? Yeah, yeah, he did. He yeah, did. you know what? If Red, you know what? If the Boston Red Sox can interview Gene Lamont, are you kidding me? Who hired who? The who Boston Red Sox. They're one of their first interviews Thursday, Friday last week. Gene Lamont, who when he managed the White Sox like thirty years ago, was old. So oh, hey, if, 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 if Gene Lamont has one of the greatest baseball minds of the 1970s. Yeah, but his body not very good. You ever see him coming out of the shower? The, uh, no, Tremendous I Tremendous baseball mind, but big dog, not something you want to see. Believe me. But like I said, it was a great mind of the, of the 1970s. <laughs> Back in the 70s, his mind was in the 70s. His body was like 30 years ahead of him. But uh, sorry, I didn't mean to destroy your thought there. No, no, Just yeah, picturing Gene Lamont, Lamont in the top. Gene Lamont did win three division titles with the with the Pirates. Oh, I'm Pretty not saying he wasn't a good coach. He was a very good yeah. coach. But but you know how old is he? And the yeah, Red Sox. 1993, the little the 1990 through 92, the last time the Pirates had a winning season. I don't think it's time to hire Gene Lamont 20 years after the last time he won the division. No, and 20, you know, and again, last time he won the division, it wasn't like he was a spring chicken. I mean, the guy wasn't exactly mid 30s. I'm surprised with his body type that he'd lived this long. I'm not trying to be mean. He's got to be in his seven. He's got to be seventy years old, coach. Yes. Yeah, that's why when you you know you alluded to the red shandies, I had to bring up the whole Gene Lamont being interviewed. I couldn't believe that. But at any rate, Mike Matheny gets the gig. Poor Ryan Sandberg. Somebody's got to give him the opportunity because I think he'll be good. But Mike Matheny and Big Dog, you and me are both uh, advocates of of you know. Catchers who weren't superstars, but catchers that were grinders make great managers. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's that was the first thing I thought was, oh, the Cardinals. You know what? If you're going to take a chance on a first, like a guy with no managerial experience, managerial experience, go with Mike Matheny. And I remember when they won the World Series in uh, in 2006. Mike <laughs> Matheny was the backup catcher at the time. He wasn't the starter. But like he was like the the secondary pitching coach with Dave Duncan, like on the on the bench, and uh, this is an excellent excellent. This guy was is phenomenal coach. He had one of those years where he had like two pass balls and no errors, 
during a during a baseball season. Like that's the type of guy that you want running your ball mm-hmm. club. David Olson, did you have some notes on Ryan Sandberg? Is is he interviewing elsewhere? Uh, not sure, but he apparently doesn't interview well. So what? So what? It's an they, interview. They, they, so what? I mean, yeah. Look at what he's done. Body of work. Obviously, it doesn't matter. Obviously, it doesn't matter. Well, it should. I mean, look at the way Theo Epstein and, and Jed Hoyer and them run their interview. They don't. They don't. They don't even do a traditional interview. Who cares if a guy interviews well? They got this whole. I'm sure you've read about this whole unique way of quote unquote interview. It's really the wrong word to use. Is interviewing, but all you do is look at Ryan Sandberg's success, and then you talk to some of the players. And from what I've heard, Big Dog, uh, you know the the kids that have played for him. Almost to a T, speak highly of his communication skills and his managerial ability. And, and let's face it, these teams have finished in first place at all the different levels. They win the championships. In yes. You know what I mean? So it's not like they're, he's just developing guys. And it, and believe it or not, like he had hands-on approach with a with a Starling Castro and and Darwin Barney. Mm-hmm. Sandberg had worked with these kids, so I mean it's. They seem pretty major league ready. They're just not all to do with them. There's been a bunch of people working with those guys, especially the Latin guys with Starlin Castro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, who knows what? Who knows what? What Ryan Sandberg coach? Uh, to be quite honest with you, I, I don't want to get too much into it. I have no idea. He he doesn't have the best uh, personality. We all know that. If you and you know anything about Chicago sports in the 1980s and 90s, you know Ryan Sandberg isn't exactly well, the most charismatic person in the world. But he's changed. He changed a lot. I'm not saying he's, you know, going to make public speaking engagements, but uh, he's he's become a lot more uh, affable. And again, all you got to do is talk to him. Now, maybe some of the players that they've talked to or people that have worked with him, you know, aren't saying things. But if the the players that have played for him over the years are saying good things about him, then you know, that's that's all that counts. The guys, the yeah, guys. To me, that's all that counts too. Yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a little surprised he has not gotten a job yet because you, you talk about a guy who got the most out of his ability. It was Ryan Sandberg, and if you think about the the stuff that he was good at, that's stuff that you can teach too. Like uh, the ability to, he always. I don't know how many times there would be a ball hit to the right side of the infield, and I immediately thought, oh, that's a single. And all of a sudden, Sandberg's just right in front of the ball, fielding and throwing it over to Mark Race, and there's an out. I'm like, how the heck did he know to be standing right there? And he was the best base runner in terms of knowing what to do. Of any base runner that I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Obviously, Ricky Henderson is the best base runner that I've ever seen because that guy, I mean, he was the best instincts and speed that you ever had. But him and Paul Molitor, Scott Rowland, uh, uh, and uh, Ryan Sandberg are the greatest. So Ryan Sandberg can teach people how to run the bases. Mm-hmm. And he was the, oh my goodness, he led the National League and run scored like four years in a row. And it was just because he was always got the extra base 100% of the time. Yeah, no question about it. All right, so we got the well, Rhino's going to get his job at some point. Mike yeah, Matheny, yeah. new head coach of the St. Louis Cardinals, will be finding out probably this week who the new manager of the Chicago Cubs is. More importantly, in a uh, weekend that was filled with some uh, football stories, interesting notes, all kinds of things happening. We got to lead off uh, our college football segment here real quick. And college football fans, you want to check in eight 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 four six three. 67-48, Penn State, Nebraska, not that great of a game. Nebraska wins it 17-14, but it did get pretty exciting in the fourth quarter, the comeback. And, Big Dog, I was surprised. Maybe these are people that didn't watch it. I watched the fourth quarter. You could not help but root for the Penn State team and their fans. It would have been an unbelievable story if they would have come back and won that game. But I was surprised how many people said, no, they weren't rooting for Penn State. 
Um, yeah, I, a lot of people were rooting against Penn State. I don't a get that. Other guys, like, I didn't. I didn't want to get involved in all that. I just watched the game and wanted to see what what, what transpired. Uh, I will tell you that when, before the game started, an impromptu decision by the Nebraska coaching staff. All the players in the whole Nebraska skyline walked to the center of the field. Yep. I was watching the game at this moment, Coach. I realized what was going on, I think, before the commentators did, okay, because they pulled back, and, like, the Nebraska team was running. Obviously, I didn't think they were running out there to challenge them to a pre-game fist fight, obviously. It was, it was very cool. Yeah. Unbelievable. And everybody from both sidelines came, and you could they couldn't get any closer. They had 500 people in the middle of the football field, and Ron Brown, an assistant coach yep. for Nebraska, they kept saying he was leading the prayer. He was not leading the prayer. I don't know what he was saying, but I really, really would love to hear what he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole Nebraska and Penn State football programs in the middle of that field. He was quite, that. quite animated. I, I, yes, that was really, yep. really cool, coach. Yep, yep. I saw that scene. That was that was very cool. And the game was uh, hard fought, but there was no chippiness at all. A clear due respect between the two teams. And again, I think it would have been a great story if Penn State would have come back and won the only. Thing that really ruined the game and ruined the whole story, and it's been that way all season long, is Penn State's offense. Big Doug is just awful. I can't believe an institution like that. I mean, they, they do not have a quarterback. Their offensive, uh, you know, their their passing system, whatever they've got set up, just you never see an open receiver. It's just their their ineptness of their offense really took some of the luster out of what could have been even a better game. Yeah, they, their defense is really solid. They got a, a decent running back in Silas Red. Yep. And uh, they can't throw the ball whatsoever. McGloin. Terrible. Well, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. It, it was definitely it, it's not the best offense in the world, and and that was the whole thing is that's how Penn State that's, that's Iowa. How Penn State will try to beat you. They try to make it as ugly as possible. Like thirteen to eleven would be a good score of a Penn State game. Mm-hmm. All right, the uh, BCS standings, you know, we said about three, four weeks ago, you watch, you know, the, the teams are going to get knocked off. It's almost, well, not impossible, but very, very tough to go undefeated. Things will start to separate themselves. You, the voice of reason, were the lead voice on that, and your, uh, your, your intuition is coming to fruition, big dog. A couple of more teams. Boise State gets knocked off. Stanford beaten by a really good Oregon Duck team, TCU 36, Boise State 35, couple of more undefeateds gone. So Oklahoma State and Louisiana State, now big dog at the end of week 9, 10, whatever it is, standing atop the BCS standings. Yeah, LSU without question deserves that, the number one overall ranking. And now you have uh, Oklahoma State. And, and Coach, I, I mentioned going into that, you know, Texas Tech had had uh, pulled the, the pants down of Oklahoma a couple weeks ago, and Oklahoma State wouldn't let that happen yep. again. And uh, if you look at, like, Oklahoma State had a tough game against Kansas State. Well, look, look at Kansas State. They're pretty good people. Woo! What a did comeback you, against Texas A&M. Okay, did you, have you seen my guy Colin Klein yet, the quarterback of uh, Kansas State? Highlights only, but he, he was incredible. I've got to tell you, I, I, I've been talking about this kid all year, Coach. He needs to be the third-string quarterback of the Chicago Bears next season. Okay, they can get this kid, like, in the sixth round. Mm-hmm. He probably he won't fall that far. That kid can flat out play. I, I, I see NFL all over that kid. Uh, but uh, Oklahoma State, they're playing Texas Tech now. So you're starting to realize Kansas State playing Oklahoma State last weekend really tough wasn't that big of a deal. Well, Oklahoma State was up 49 to nothing against Texas Tech before there was a errant fumble put on the ground and Texas Tech returned it for a touchdown. 
That was the only score of the game. It was a total miscue on Oklahoma State. Oh, by the way, you can you can tip their hat and say you can afford a miscue when you put 66 points up on the board, Coach. Oklahoma State, I was watching that game with my mouth. I would change the channel from Illinois, Michigan, because I didn't want to actually kill myself. So I would get off that game every once in a while. <laughs> and and uh, I would every time I would put the game on, Oklahoma State would have a wide-open receiver catching the football at a full sprint as he's running towards the end zone. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I mean, every time I would change the channel, Weedon was throwing a, a, a touchdown pass uh, to one of his receivers. It was amazing. I, I, the country. Give me a percentage. You watch Oklahoma State play okay. and, and how open their receivers are, how easy their passing game comes, and then let's compare them to our previous story, Penn State, which struggles to make you know a 10-yard pass. What percent of that is talent? What percent of that is passing scheme and coaching? Uh, you know what? There's got to be some. There's got to be some talent involved because Penn State has such a conservative system, and they run the ball so often that normally a wide receiver that gets the ball thrown to him very rarely, but when on one-on-one coverage can get separation because of the surprise and the factor in a one-on-one coverage. You see what I'm saying, Coach? You see what? So there, it is a little bit to do with the Penn State receivers that can't get any separation, but if you're a wide receiver who can get separation. Don't you want to go to a university that has a scheme like Oklahoma State as a as a than Penn State? I mean, if you're a linebacker or an old lineman, you might want to go to Penn State. But I think it's a it's a little bit of both. And it's, it's funny you said that because they showed a play where Justin Blackman was wide open and he was the number one guy. But Eric Weed like got the ball, saw it, but then he realized that a guy behind him was even more wide open. So he held it for a second, and just everybody that was – the whole entire offense was open on every play. Speaking of Brandon Whedon, the quarterback, that score, by the way, Oklahoma State 66, Texas Tate, Texas Tech 6. Andrew Luck had a average game against Oregon, and people are starting to question. You know, he's not the automatic Heisman, probably still the leader, but correct me if I'm wrong. Leapfrogging over Trent Richardson, you got two quarterbacks now that uh, – have a legitimate shot. Brandon Whedon of Oklahoma State and Case Keenum uh, from Houston. And by the way, if anybody's checking, Houston still has not lost a game. Houston has not lost a game, Coach, and they have scored 70 points in consecutive weeks. The kid is playing. Uh, Casey Keenum is in his sixth year. And I, yeah, I was going to say, sometimes the Heisman is a, what do they call it, a career award? Sometimes. But so- I, I Doubt, I, I doubt Keenum's going to win it, but he's definitely going to get an invite to New York, and he deserves it because his year has been phenomenal. And Houston is a really, really decent program, Coach. And they're, obviously, they're not playing the, the schedule other teams are in mm-hmm. conference with. Still, he's had a phenomenal year. And, and Whedon, without a doubt, if, if, you, if you really, really look at this season right now, he's in the lead. He's got to be in the lead. I, I mean, you, I would have to vote him he's the right guy. now as the Heisman Trophy winner at this point right, uh, today. Isn't he the one who's like 26 years old? He's 28 years old. 28. He was, he was a number one uh, uh, draft pick by the New York Yankees as a starting pitcher. 28. His shoulder wore out, and now he's in his you know his senior year at Oklahoma State, so he's got four years. Think about it. That makes uh. sense. Like, Chris Wanky was 28. He's older than Aaron Rodgers, coach. That's weird. He's older than yeah. Aaron Rodgers. That's, you think that would count against him? Well, some of the Heisman voters, when push comes to Shavola, will that uh, possibly work against him? 
Well, I don't know how many new Heisman voters are, they are, they're here since 2000 was when Chris Wanky won it. Mm-hmm. But those same guys are probably still voting for those guys. So they'll be like, if we gave it to Wanky, we can give it to Whedon. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's a, that's a movie that's coming out, by the way, starring Brad Pitt. If we gave it to Wanky, we can give it to Whedon. Yeah. Actually, I think that uh, appeared at the Bijou Theater about three years ago with a slightly different title. I think Jonah Hill was in it when he was when he was much much thicker. If we gave it to Wanky, we could give it to Whedon. Okay, uh-huh. moving right along. Eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. I got to bring it up, dog. But your uh, Illinois Fighting Illini team down to six and four. I watched that game against Michigan. The Ron Zook uh, career continues to spiral downward. The Illinois offense absolutely more. Their defense played well. Offense terrible. Oh, you know their defense. I wouldn't even say played well, Coach, because if you really can factor the situations that the Illini offense put their defense in, I'm going to have to say that they played extremely well. They really did. They they made a bunch of plays, and I don't know how many times Illinois turned the ball over and put Michigan on a short field, and Illinois' defense would come up and make a huge play, make a really big play. So the, the defense was definitely not the issue uh, on Saturday. So many issues on offense, Coach. One of them is if all they have is they basically plays uh, uh, to the wide receiver, uh, A.J., I can't even think of his name right Jenkins. now. Jenkins. Jenkins, I yeah. guess. And they, they, I mean, boy, if the kid has been clicking, the game is over with. I don't know it's if the play that. is designed for him or Nathan Shehaus just looks for him, but, yeah, it's a ridiculous percentage of the time that they mm-hmm. throw the ball to him. Hey, you got two other wide receivers and a tight end. Mix it up a little bit. And and yeah, if you absolutely. mix it up a little bit, it's going to make A.J. Jenkins that much better. Yeah, absolutely. And then, but, and then, but defensively, they, they really did play a, yep. a really good football game. Now, I say to you all the time that Illinois has the worst special teams in all of college football. The 360 units, 120 teams, three units, the Illinois special teams is the worst of all 360 in college football. What do, you, do you think I was wrong about that assessment? If you punt the ball to Illinois – you have a 20% chance of getting the football back to you because the kid's going to be an idiot and drop it. And and, and normally we need him to catch it because normally the ball will bounce 25 yards past where he should have fair caught the football, this Malines kid who's... I've got us ranked in, in my special teams college football rankings. If you look at the website, I've got us at 359, uh, half, a, <laughs> half a point ahead of Detroit Mercy. Oh, that's good. Coach. Well, basically, when the ball's up in the air, they go, Mercy! They, Man, it's, it's, it's horrible, Coach. They spend 60% of their special teams practice time covering the fumbled punt. <laughs> <laughs> Strategies to cover. All right, guys, now, when we fumble, here's what you you got to drill it, Big Doe. That's very, very important. Yeah, yeah. people don't realize. <laughs> people don't All realize. Right. All right, we've got Residue Tuesday coming up tomorrow. We'll pick up more college football. Let's get to our NFL roundup. Wrap them up. Are you uh, seated in? Are you strapped in, Big Dog? You remember your seat cushion can be used, among other things. As a flotation device. I'm strapped in, Coach. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, NFL round them up and wrap them up. One of these days we'll actually get a musical interlude. Maybe uh, who's the guy in Monday Night Football that's available now? What's his name? Uh, uh, they fired Hank him? Williams. Yeah, Hank <laughs> Williams. You know, he's he's got some time. Now he could write a little music for our round them up, wrap them up, but maybe not. All right, New Orleans, 26 over Atlanta, 23. One of the best games of the day. Big Dog was a pick game. Killed me on beat the schmoes. Atlanta ties the game with a field goal in regulation, but New Orleans wins it in overtime. Story of the game here, good football game, by the way, is how about the Atlanta gamble in overtime from their own 29-yard line? 
you know what? Everybody is upset about this play. How could you go for it? You know what? In overtime, you need to be able to pick up two inches. And I don't know why they're turning around and handing it off to Michael Turner when all you need to do is have your six foot five quarterback lean over the center and pick up the two inches. You know, everybody, how could you make that decision? No, how could you pick that play? If you need two inches, fourth down, you tell your guard and your center, listen, we're going over the, we're going over the quarterback's going this way, and you had better. If you want to keep your job, you make sure that we get these two inches. Instead, you, a slow develop and play with Michael Turner with no lead back. Does that make any sense to you, Coach? That's why everyone's cracking up about the decision. I'm, I'm upset about the play call. It's horrible. Yeah, Matt Ryan, on the other hand, is not, uh, you know, if you ranked your top quarterbacks for the QB sneak, I know he's six feet five inches tall, but he's not your best QB sneak guy. But uh, it was a gamble, no question about it. But you know what? First team scores in overtime, I want the ball. I don't think it was that bad a call. I got him ranked in the top 24 quarterbacks in the NFL for quarterback sneak ability, Coach, which is is good enough for two inches. (laughs) Okay. Moving along, Dallas 44, Buffalo 7. Buffalo's look great at times this season. Dallas has uh, had potential, but they've just stunk up the place a few times. But the way the NFL is going these days, big dog, you never know. Dallas comes out, plays a great game to beat Buffalo 44-7. to Another big game for DeMarco Murray. And uh, how about Tony Romo? What was he, 23 out of 26? For 270 yards and three touchdowns. That's, it that's was pretty a good. perfectly efficient game. Unbelievable, the efficiency he showed yesterday in that game. And basically, this is it, people. If the Dallas Cowboys are on television, don't worry about watching the game whatsoever unless you're a Cowboy fan because, quite simply, it's going to be a blowout. Have they played a good game yet this season? I know, like, the first two weeks they blew close games. But other than that, it's like every game has been a blowout for them. Like, they played the Eagles and lost by a million, and they had – they destroyed another team right before that. So. They haven't found that in between. They're either pretty bad or they're really good. Yesterday they were really good in the Buffalo Bills. David Olson talking before the show, producer, predictor extraordinaire, that uh, same old Buffalo Bills showing potential early. They're going to start their downslide now. Do you think that's the case, Big Dog? Or, and I tend to disagree with David a little bit, I think Buffalo's got a little more, despite yesterday's stink-up-the-place performance, I think they still might have a little show in them. No, I, I do think they're better than people think they are. But let's face it, they still have to play the Jets and the Patriots. they got a real tough That's part a of the win. That's a win. Up. No problem. <laughs> the, the Bills won't make the playoffs, Coach. I'm not saying they're going to have a disappointing season. They can still have a winning season, but they're not going to be one of the – they're not going to make the playoffs out of the AFC. Any of our Buffalo fans out there listening uh, via the Internet, feel free to email uh... – the big dog at Mike Two Guys at AOL dot com. M I C in the number two. Mike Two Guys at AOL dot com. Big dog, you've upset many of our Buffalo listeners, but uh, you know, tell it like it is, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't mean to upset anybody, Coach. Thank you very oh. much. Pittsburgh twenty four, Cincinnati seventeen. The five game winning streak of the Cincinnati Bengal is over. The Pittsburgh Steelers get a much needed victory, and they get. Uh, couple interceptions in the fourth quarter against Andy Dalton to keep it alive. Pretty good game. Big win for the Steelers. Uh, yeah, huge win for the Steelers because, I mean, uh, the Steelers are are like teetering on that in the playoffs, out of the playoffs, the AFC North, which is absolutely unbelievable. you got the Bengals, the Ravens, and the Steelers. Huge day for the Steelers. They beat the Bengals and the Ravens lose in Seattle. So, uh, you know, like if Sunday morning, everybody was worried about the Steelers. Sunday night, everything's great in Pittsburgh. You know, it's, it's so funny how the NFL, your opinion can change so quick in a matter mm-hmm. of three hours. Yep. It's going to be interesting to watch the Cincinnati Bengals, too, uh, and see 
which route they take second half of the season, or I guess we're into the second half. But they're still six and three, so they got a little uh, cushion to play with. But I think a lot of people not yet convinced on them. How about San Francisco and the Giants? A lot of people thought that would be one of the better games of the day. It was, and then it wasn't. I didn't see a lot of this game, Big Doug. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was a close game. 49ers win it. Amazing. Eight in a row. They are clearly the surprise team, and right now the second-best team in the NFC. Bears are third, by the way, but it really wasn't a great game, and somehow the 49ers win without dramatics. I mean, there was nothing special that happened in the game, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, yeah, that, that game was on while the Bears were going on, so I was only getting little snippets uh, of the game. Uh, but the 49ers kind of controlled it. You know, They always had the lead in it, and you're right, they just kind of like methodically pulled out a, a 27-20 win. And now they're eight and one, and you know people are saying this. They are the second best team in football, but you know the the Packers still have to go in the Thanksgiving uh, Thursday and beat the Lions, which could be a loss for them. The 49ers are still only a game behind the Packers at this point, Coach. And they're and we'll, again they're doing it without. You know, nobody, I mean, I guess Patrick Will, Willis has been a star on defense, but it's not like their defense has been that scintillating. It's been very solid. Offensively, you know, Alex Smith managing the game. Frank Gore's been a great running back, but. He's hurt, by the way, everyone, and who knows oh. how bad he's hurt. Oh! Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, the backup for, before him came in, I gotta think of the kid's name. He's, he was electrifying in the fourth quarter, coach. Seriously. He's just probably just fresh legs. But the kid looks really good in the fourth quarter for the 49ers yesterday. Get you his name here in a second. 49ers, that would be a Kendall Hunter. Yeah. I have yes, no idea. Where did Kendall Hunter come from? I do not know, Coach. That's why I was. That's why I didn't remember his name. I'm like, who the heck is Kendall Hunter? And he was really, really explosive with the football. Interesting. So. All right, moving right along. Miami Dolphins knock off the Washington Redskins, twenty to nine. Dolphins two wins in a row. Just when you thought everything was dead in Miami, they come back, win a couple in a row. Washington Redskins are really heading to the bottom. Daniel Snyder on his fifth coach, and in the owner's career, he's probably on about his fifteenth quarterback. Cannot. Find a winning combo in Washington. The Redskins stunk up the place big up. Well, Shanahan decided to go to Rex Grossman again, and all of us in Chicago know what that's about. And, you know, I know the Redskins aren't all that good, but it's it's pretty cool that the Dolphins just start out 0-7. Yep. And then Brandon Marshall and Reggie Bush start complaining and, and bitching. And then what ends up happening is these teams go out, they go out and win two consecutive games. And mm-hmm. it just, you're not supposed to fold it in. I don't care if it's 0-7. Oh, let's suck for luck and all that other stupid stuff. No, you go out there and you win football games. So, uh, Dolphins, I do like how you turn around the last two weeks. Yep. Nicely done by Miami NFL. Round up and wrap up regular segment we do here on Mondays on the two guys at a mic show, Big Dog and the coach at your service. Next game, upset of the day, Seattle 22, Baltimore 17. The field goal, big part of the offense for Seattle. Five field goals by Stephen Hawshild, I think you pronounce his name, Marshawn Long, or Marshawn Lynch, by the way, the running back, had a nice game. But a big upset Seattle over the kind of schizophrenic Baltimore Raven. Yeah, the, that game, obviously that was going on during the Bears game, and uh, NFL Network was showing a lot more 49ers uh, uh, and, and, and the Giants in that game. So I, I didn't see much of it. But, uh, again, the Ravens threw the ball all day long, Coach. They kept throwing the football. When you have Ray Rice, maybe you should decide to actually uh, run the football every once in a while. So uh, an, another dismal performance by John Harbaugh's game plan. When you got a running back like that, take advantage of him. 
Okay. Yep, I've heard that criticism. Uh, they got behind, and instead of you know staying with the game plan, they panicked a little bit too early. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Tennessee quietly having a pretty good season. The Tennessee Titans, first year without Jeff Fisher, right? Yeah. Or is yeah. it second year? First year without well, Jeff first, Fisher. First, first, yeah. But they're quietly having a good season. 30-3 to three over Carolina. Guess who shows up? Welcome to the party. Mr. Chris Johnson has his first really nice game as a lead running back since he signed the... Seventy-five million or whatever it is contract. Chris Johnson, hundred thirty yards. Nice win for Tennessee. Yeah, that looks good for them. And, and if you would have told me Johnson would have been this bad so far this season, yep, I wouldn't think the Titans had as many wins as they already do. It's all coaching, which brings up the question: Who is the coach? Mike Munchak, <laughs> coach. Uh, Mike Munchak, ex offensive yeah. lineman. He was an assistant with what? Was he a Tennessee assistant? He may have been. I know he was an assistant with the Steelers at one point also. Yes. Yeah, I remember his name was mentioned many times for the head coaching job. At any rate, he's he's doing a heck of a job with Tennessee. Yeah, a phenomenal job, especially when you consider that their their other good offensive player, Kenny Britt, has been hurt all season. Mm-hmm. I think he got hurt like the second or third week of the year, so they faced a lot of adversity. Adversity to mm-hmm. adversity. Beautiful. Big deal. We got to wrap up today's show. Speaking of adversity, you were able to uh, fight through it beautifully, my friend. I'm glad you had a great weekend. Uh, once again, I checked the crime report and checked the obituaries. Did not see your name on Sunday. I figured all was good. Uh, and I probably will be able to get through today with the same exact focus, Coach. You know, I check the paper each and every day just in case. Just in case. You never know. Uh, God bless you. Residue Tuesday. We got a lot more stories to talk about. <laughs> All right. Have a great day, everybody, for the dog and the coach, producer extraordinaire David Olson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Don't be late. Have a great day, everybody.